is is roughly one third the size of Hong Kong, and also you are talking about eventually providing homes to some two point five million people and also offering. Six hundred and fifty thousand jobs. So this is a very substantial number. How, how does that? By the way, how do you, how do you come up with that number for six hundred and fifty thousand jobs? Uh, basically, these numbers are based on our planning figures, and also based on that, we generate some, uh, definitely with assumptions to ensure that these numbers are robust. But that said, I think uh, planning aside and also the project aside, as you highlighted, we look at the financing side, and on that, I would say I'm not worried at all because if you look at Hong Kong story. It's very much a land development story, very much in tune with our economic development story, and also um, using public money is not the only means for us to do that. Uh, we have a history and uh, actually quite a good record in terms of leveraging both public and also private money to achieve these kind of projects, like Shushatin、uh, uh, or many of our new towns. Basically, public source money is not the only source of money. That's number one, and number two, if you look at、um, In return, what we get is land, and land itself is actually an investment. And potentially, if we can sell those land, there will also be money coming in as well. So I think we need to look at the whole things holistically, rather than just, you know, one-sided manner. I'd love to carry on and talk a bit more with you about some of these very important issues, Mr. Hoy. But unfortunately, we've run out of time. But thank you very much indeed for for coming onto the program this morning. Thank you, Peter. That's Christopher Hoy, Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. A quick look at the markets for the final time this morning. The SX200 in Australia up a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down about 0.4 percent. Futures markets indicating a decline of about 0.9 percent for the Hang Seng. Please do join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Jim Gould and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today: sunny periods, one or two rain patches in the morning. Maximum temperature of around 26 degrees, and then sunny periods in the next couple of days. And it is going to be warm during the day. It's 21 degrees right now, 67% relative humidity. It's just gone 8:32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The Agricultural Fisheries and Conservation Department says vets have put down seven wild pigs in Aberdeen after first tranquilising them with dart guns. The operation took place between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. on Shamwan Road, where the pigs often went in search of food. Robert Kemp has the details. In a statement, a department spokesman said the goal had been to reduce the number of wild pigs there and to protect the public. He said that due to regular feeding at Shumwan Road, wild pigs had often approached passers-by and had even chased vehicles. From 2018 until last month, the department had tried to solve the problem through 12 capture and relocation operations at the site. 35 wild pigs had been relocated to remote countryside locations, with 27 of them being either sterilised or subject to some kind of contraception. But this had failed to control the problem. The Hong Kong Toilet Association is urging the government to introduce a third-party rating system for Hong Kong's public toilets to improve their standards. Tomorrow is World Toilet Day, and after inspecting more than 400 facilities across the SAR, the association deemed the one at Smith Mill Municipal Bil- Services Building in Kennedy Town to be the best. The group's chairman Alex Choi says the toilet was well designed and, more importantly, well managed. 
initiatives that we have been promoting in the past year, which is to introduce a third-party rating system to the public toilets. If we can add this, we can link this rating system to say more competitive mechanism. Saying if you do not meet certain minimum standards, that you are not allowed to bid for government projects in future or for a period of time. I think that. To introduce a market force, a market pressure, to make sure the people are really paying attention to how to manage their toilet, I think can can do a good job in improving the overall conditions of toilets in Hong Kong. The self-proclaimed shaman, whose bare chest and horned fur headgear made him the face of January's assault on the U.S. Capitol, has been sentenced to 41 months in prison. Jacob Chansley had pleaded guilty in September to obstruction of an official proceeding after taking part in the storming by Trump supporters of the U.S. Senate chamber. Speaking to reporters outside the courthouse in Washington, Mr. Chansley's lawyer, Albert Watkins, said his client had accepted his sentence. Mr. Chansley owned his responsibility. He sought to be accountable. He was and has been held accountable. And he is respectful of this court and everyone involved in this case for having put himself in this position. He is absolutely embracing being held accountable for that. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the cargo industry, air freight and shipping. The global delivery firm FedEx has confirmed that it's closing its Hong Kong pilot base, citing the territory's COVID-19 regulations as being partly behind its decision. At the start of this year, the company announced it was relocating 180 pilots from Hong Kong to California. In confirming the closure of the base, it said it would maintain its operations in Hong Kong, which was a vital part of its Asia-Pacific and global network. Meanwhile, about 150 Cathay Pacific crew are now reported to be under quarantine at the Penny's Bay facility after three cargo pilots tested positive for COVID-19 on return from Frankfurt. The company has also placed additional self-isolation requirements on aircrew on arrival back in Hong Kong. We'll be asking what effects these developments may have on the freight industry on top of global supply chain disruptions. And from 9.15, changing the subject completely, we're looking at the Best Public Toilet Awards uh, 2021 ahead of World Toilet Day. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us now in our Admiralty studio, we have Louis Chan, Principal Economist for Global Research at the Hong Kong Trade Development Council and also Tim Huxley, Director of Mandarin Shipping. And on the line, uh, we, should have, uh, we do have uh, Akim Cherney, Associate Professor at the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Um, perhaps, um, Akim Cherney, first, if we can ask you, um, you've said that the uh, decision by uh, FedEx to uh, confirm and finally close its uh, pilot base here uh, can't have been an easy one. Can you um, elaborate a little bit? Well, I... Uh, uh Sort of. First of all, thank you. For, thank you very much for for, for having me. Um, but, you know what I understand is that air cargo crews have been handled relatively flexibly until now, 
Uh, and uh, but with the three cafe cases, uh, this might change. So then uh, you know, airlines have to find ways to deal with the travel restrictions. And it seems that like relocating stuff makes sense because air cargo who are not going to enter the local community must be self-isolated only until the next duty flight. So this makes a big difference. And then like what I think of all is, although this re- relocation uh, overall is not very convenient for the air crew, it can actually help make more effective use of the of the pilot resources. And air cargo is currently uh, with high demand and a relatively short uh, shortage of supply. It's a, it's a valuable resource and could make it easier for airlines to serve their customers in Hong Kong. So overall, uh, I think this is some development that actually. Um, in this, under the current conditions, could actually be something that really could help the air cargo, uh, the, the airlines to handle better the current travel restrictions. Professor Jody, do you have any sense of whether this was a, a decision driven by pure number crunching? The people at headquarters said, listen, you know, we have to put these, we have to take these people out of commission from time to time. It just doesn't work. Or was there a revolt going on among the pilots themselves? You know, were there, were there families like, listen, we can't do this anymore? And if that's the case, you know, is, is Discovery Bay going to be a new, uh, you know, hotbed of dissent among, among the pilot class in Hong Kong? Or are we going to see other airlines being pressured to making moves like this? Uh, I, I think, uh, sorry, I didn't understand you. Is, is this a pure, well. you know, number crunching logical question? Or were the pilots driving this decision because they were in re- a state of revolt over the over? Having right, a, uh, right. Um, I don't have any intimate knowledge of this, but from the number crunching point of view, I would say this this makes sense because pilots that are not looking, it's a, a big difference is whether the, or the air crew is um, mixing, is, is going to enter the Hong Kong's local community or not. Yeah, because I know Cathay yeah, Cath- yeah. Pacific has been issuing apologies to pilots and their families for the, for the conditions they have to endure. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's inconvenient. Yeah, it is inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and uh, that's why I, I, I think that's also what I said. I don't think the, the apparently the relocation is not something that is appreciated uh, by the air crew. But nonetheless, it doesn't mean that this is from the from the business perspective. If that would be happening, this could, you know, this sort of this sort of makes makes sense mm-hmm. from the business perspective. Right. Uh, I mean, people like. Yeah, I mean, FedEx have still been operating their services using pilots based elsewhere and pilots uh, uh, based uh, in the U.S. Um, and they've, you know, confirmed the importance of uh, Hong Kong to its uh, global network. And we do have the third air, uh, runway at the airport, which should be uh, coming on stream in 2023. Um, right. uh, is this? Is uh, I mean, are we looking at a temporary phenomenon here, or, or what? What do you think the future might yeah, be? Yeah, I do. I do think it's a temporary mm-hmm. phenomenon. Hong Kong is the or it has been, I mean, it's, it is well known, but it has been the number one airport for, I think, nine consecutive years. So it's the, the air, if you wish, the air cargo center of the world. And with the opening of a third runway and then the concentrate, you know, concentrating on high value cargo e- areas of e-commerce, which makes, a, you know, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Hong Kong will, uh, should be gaining uh, the attractiveness. On and become even more competitive when it comes to 
uh, the future development of the air cargo market. So, yes, I, I do think this is a response to the current situation, which is special in Hong Kong, right? So, uh, yeah, but it makes sense. But for the longer term, you know, even short, it is inconvenient for the air crew. But for the handling air cargo in Hong Kong, I think it makes it easier to handle air cargo business in Hong Kong, makes it easier for the airlines to serve their customers if the air crew, if they manage to, to relocate the air crew um, outside Hong Kong. Uh, and the long term, again, I mean, I, I think this is, there's no doubt that the opening of the third runway um, and the new facilities, um, air cargo businesses will remain strong in Hong Kong. Well, let's uh, ask uh, Louis Chan, a principal economist uh, for global research at the Hong Kong Trade Development Council. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, what sort of impact uh, do you think the, uh, the quarantine restrictions um, are having on, uh, on uh, shipping, uh, air freight, uh, the trading and logistics industry? So uh, if I may use a more um, interesting or funny way to describe the situation, perhaps the best illustration of the complexity and how they were affected uh, is to compare them to the human vascular system. So any bottleneck, no matter how small, can create a major disruption. And it may be extremely difficult, if not completely impossible, to mimic uh, the flow or bypass the blockage, especially in regions like ours, where the circulation is disturbed without causing chaos and unpredictability. But I, I, I agree with, uh, with uh, the scholar that um, we don't expect this uh, situation to last forever. And this situation remains very fluid across the globe. And this is not something happened only to Hong Kong, but because Hong Kong has been one of, if not the most busy or the busiest uh, airport or cargo airport here in Hong Kong, so uh, uh, in the world. So uh, the problem happens uh, to be pretty acute or the uh, response from the tray uh, has been uh, pretty uh, alarming for the time being. But I, I, I would say that uh, Cafe Pacific is uh, Hong Kong's flagship carrier. Uh, so uh, we expect when the situation becomes more easy or m more uh, uh, accommodating, I, I suppose the situation will get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're hearing about supply chain disruptions. You say that the blockages are not even everywhere there. I mean, I understand at Long Beach, California, they've got piles of ships out in the harbor. Uh, Vancouver, which is also on the West Coast, a little bit of a backup, but not as bad. But I don't see ships all piled up. You know, out, you know, when I go for my morning walk over Park Fulham, I don't, I don't see piles of ships here sitting and waiting. Tim, Tim, what is going on with the shipping in Hong Kong? Are we, are we as backed up here, or is it more? related to other factors in those jurisdictions? No, I mean, Hong Kong, I mean, it's a hugely efficient port. Uh, there are ships waiting to come in, and it's interesting, if you look out uh, over to Lama Island, uh, in the past you'd see ships sitting there empty. Uh, now they're actually sitting there fully laden, uh, mm -hmm. because you need to get them into ports, or they're waiting to be told to maybe go over to the US West Coast, where there is the con a really serious congestion. Now, we've had congestion in... Uh, ports in this region in May. We had an outbreak of COVID in Yantian that closed down the port and very quickly you had a backlog of 600,000 containers Oof. and that takes weeks to work your way through. 
You've got over 70, 80 ships sitting off Long Beach, and it's all a combination of numerous factors. Uh, there aren't enough trucks. The ports can't actually handle uh, that volume of containers coming through. Uh, there's restrictions on the number of people who can work in ports. Ports in the US West Coast, they're not nearly as efficient as the ports over here. So it's much more difficult to clear that backlog. Mm. And also, of course, what you've got is we've had a period of underinvestment in the whole business, whether it be ships, ports, railroads, roads. Uh, and and that, that we're really seeing now. We've got a perfect storm of factors coming together uh, to really hit the logistics business pretty hard. Yeah, just talking about the efficiency of the ports, I was listening to uh, uh, this podcast this morning. They were saying that in Long Beach, you're not allowed to stack containers more than two containers high because the residents think it's unsightly. Yeah, we wouldn't have that in Hong Kong, would we? No. What's, what's the standard? You normally stack, what, eight high? Uh, in Hong Kong, yeah, we do eight up to a dozen high, really. I mean, it depends. I mean, you obviously don't put a container that weighs 20 tonnes on top of eight empties. Uh, so, but, I mean, and the container port is... A miracle of efficiency planning. Uh, this is not random. Everybody knows where that container is. So if you need the one at the bottom of the stack, uh, you, you probably won't need to actually move the whole stack. So it's it's a really container ports in this part of the world are hugely efficient. Yeah, and not so much elsewhere. Uh, also, I mean, some parts of the world uh, are experiencing shortages of, uh, of some items. Uh, we don't seem to be affected by that uh, here in Hong Kong at all. You just wait till you try to buy a Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, uh, really, really? Christmas trees might be in short supply? I think they may well be. I, I, uh, I heard three weeks ago people were finding it. They were, they were trying to pre-order in advance. We're being told, no, 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 we are just not going to be able to get Christmas trees in Hong Kong. I think you're spot on with that yeah. one. Also, uh, you know, the, the same podcast I was listening to said, you know, weird backups in strange places said you can't get snowmobiles in Canada. And I have the same problem in Hong Kong. I'm not sure why that is, if it's related to supply chain. But, you know, my, well, my, I've never needed a snowmobile in Hong Kong. I've, I've looked and looked and looked, <laughs> but my dealer just doesn't have them <laughs> in, in Hong Kong. But uh, what else could what other kind of shortages could we expect to impact this city in particular? Christmas trees, anything else on the radar? Uh, I think uh, some, you know. I mean, some of the sort of products that people uh, would hope to have for Christmas. I mean, I think that there's uh, the food and wine, uh, stuff coming in in refrigerated containers. Uh, that's always a problem because, uh, you know, refrigerated containers, they've got to be plugged in when you take them off the ship. So I think we're not going to suffer too much on, on shortages. Where, where we will see things uh, affected down the line is we're going to have price inflation. So the cost of goods is going to go up. Uh, and I think people are going to have to factor that in. But, I mean, if you wanted electronic goods because of the world shortage of microchips and everything, if you're looking to replace all the computers in your office, you might have a bit of a waiting time on that. Yeah. OK, OK. Uh, Lewis Chan, what's your view? I mean, how vulnerable is Hong Kong to disruptions in global supply chains? Now, so far, we haven't seen much uh, disruption because uh, we don't... Um, have uh, much uh, manufacturing uh, activities in uh, in the city, so uh, we don't have uh, to handle a lot of uh, raw materials and uh, which are uh, having some problem over logistically these days and shooting up the prices across the world. And uh, and so far we don't have uh, we we haven't seen any uh, particular disruption in terms of both export and imports. Uh, if we take a look at the numbers uh, in the first three quarters of this year, our exports increase 
year by year, 27%, okay, more or less the same uh, magnitude of our imports. So uh, uh, our ports, are, as uh, Tim just mentioned, are hugely uh, efficient, and our, our uh, airports uh, is doing the same. And uh, although uh, we, ha- we don't have uh, as many as uh, passenger flights uh, to uh, free up uh, very, very uh, cargo capacity uh, for the industry, but still uh, the um, cargo uh, fl- uh, flight, flight industry is uh, still uh, pretty good going uh, forward. So um, I, I agree that there would be uh, some uh, impact in terms of prices uh, to be seen Okay, in the coming uh, uh, holiday seasons are uh, perhaps also uh, carrying on into next year uh, before the CNY holidays. But uh, if we take a look at uh, the average in, uh, inflation rate over the past 40 years here in Hong Kong, which is more or less 4%, so if we compare with uh, the figure today, uh, it's still uh, way uh, uh, favorable, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm. Have we? There was a phenomenon about six months ago where you know people were posting pictures of uh, passenger airlines uh, that were being converted for cargo. So the, the area where passengers would normally sit was being converted for cargo operations. Is that still happening, or have they they all gone back to make them passenger only? I understand that there are still uh, a lot of planes carrying cargo in the um, in the passenger section. Uh, whether that's uh, all ripping out the seats or stacking PPE on uh, on 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 the seats in in the passenger section. Uh, I mean, I still think there's a bit of a mix, but uh, no, a lot of a lot of passenger planes, I understand, are still actually being deployed as freighters. Mm. And of course, pe- people have gotten into the cargo business that weren't expected to before. There's a bit of a cottage industry now of people that are. Uh, I, I get contacted by people and say, Andrew, do you know somebody who will fly to Canada in the next two days, and we will pay for them to go, and we will pay for their quarantine when they come back, and then a salary on top of that. Uh, and that, that seems to be a bit of a, a strange little industry that's sprung up in Hong Kong. Akim Cherney, what, what other kind of weird uh, outcomes are arising as, as to, to kind of deal with these situations? Uh, let me let me uh, let me uh, also comment on the on this uh, so-called freighter, so the so passenger aircraft that are used as all cargo aircraft. Yeah. So w- when you look at uh, the cafe numbers, then you see although the air cargo business is booming, still the numbers are not having the level of the pre-pandemic level. Although the, overall globally the air cargo market has recovered, and this is interesting because there is a big a strong relationship between passenger and air cargo market. Um, the majority of the or a large share of the of the air cargo is actually in normal times carried in the belly of passenger aircraft. But now, since the the passenger numbers are so down, in, in so you know, they're, they're just a small fraction of what we had before the pandemic. Uh, the belly capacity, so the capacity that can be used from passenger aircraft, is actually much lower than what we had before. And then the the employment, having those freighter sort of aircraft, so passenger air, all cargo sort of passenger aircraft, and the all cargo, the original all cargo uh, uh, freighters, uh, is not really sufficient to entirely uh, compensate for the loss in capacity. So, um, yes, they are they are used those the old cargo passenger aircraft, and they definitely are helping. 
but it's it's not enough to really uh, compensate for the loss again. Have, have you got some numbers for us? Can you guys can you guys give us some some you know ideas about how pricing has changed for whether it's air cargo or shipping? Well, I mean, uh, I look back last year um, when the shipping industry. I mean, if the if the phone rang, you sort of panic because you thought it was probably your bank phoning up saying, uh, you know, there's a problem here. Uh, and uh, most shipping companies were making a loss uh, in the middle of last year. I mean, you know, ships were operating uh, at below break even. Uh, I mean, a ship which could carry 24,000 containers left Shanghai with 2,000 on board. Uh, you, and that was at the, at the height of the lockdown in China. Mm-hmm. That's completely changed now, uh, and uh, so ships that were maybe earning eight, nine thousand dollars a day last year, early in the summer, I mean, it's come off a bit now. They were getting over a hundred thousand, so it had gone up ten times. Wow! And the cost of moving a container uh, from Asia to to the U.S. leapt from about two thousand dollars to over twenty thousand dollars. So there's been massive price pressure there uh, and you know that has obviously made some businesses by the time you add in the freight cost that's made their products uncompetitive so that has had an impact on uh, on an awful lot of businesses out here mm-hmm. yeah I know I know people in the relocations business that are moving people out of Hong Kong said so it's like well yeah we can pack up your stuff but it's probably going to sit in a warehouse for six months and we won't be able to ship it to you because we, we can't get containers yeah you can't get containers you can't get it on the ships and now there's a chronic shortage of warehousing capacity mm-hmm. i mean again apocryphal story i heard of people who are having to extend the lease on their flat for an extra few months because they couldn't even get the stuff out the door yeah yeah well but you know i'm running the okay. self-storage association man it's been good good for the self-storage guys that's for sure how, how about air cargo how much what are the pricing numbers changing on that akim or lewis yeah so the 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 freight rates are not very transparent. So, uh, as far as I understand, they're also substantially higher than what we had uh, pre-pandemic. Also related to what I, you know, if you have a high demand on the other end, you have some capacity shortage because of the reduced uh, capacity because of limited passenger uh, uh, aircraft movements. Um, then this is definitely having some some uh, you know, put some. Um, you know, increases the the, the freight rates, and uh, but I, the, those numbers are not very transparent, so I can't really tell you exactly. Okay. You know, whether okay. they are ten. I don't think yeah. they are ten times as high. I would rather think maybe two or three times as high. Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh, Akim Cherney. I guess what a lot of listeners would like to know is, uh, apart from. Uh, Christmas trees and snowmobiles. I mean, what about the supply of uh, goods over the holiday period? Is that going to be affected? Yeah, in, in our part of the world, uh, it, it won't be the case, except that the uh, price may, incre- may increase by a fair amount. Mm-hmm. But uh, in other parts of the world, we're talking about the United States, for instance, uh, many uh, trade associations have already uh, issued their uh, reminders to their, to their clients okay, to start the holiday shopping earlier this, this year, just to uh, get prepared. Uh, for 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 the holiday seasons because uh, they may uh, come across some uh, sold out okay in shops or or, or, or in uh, in ret- retailers okay this year and just not to uh, disappoint their family okay for the gifts but that's not likely to happen here yeah i mm. I, 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 I don't see this problem uh, coming um, happening here in Hong Kong. Well, that's good because I don't know what I'm going to buy my wife for her birthday on Saturday, <laughs> much less what I'm doing for Christmas. <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah. So, so how are people adapting to this? Like, I mean, you know, I mentioned in the self storage business, I have uh, members in Malaysia, and they said, "Listen, Andrew, we want you to find a suppliers that don't have to ship." the steel that they use in building out new sites. You know, they're expanding, they need product. They're like, can you find us overland suppliers, whether it's Singapore or Thailand, that can get the goods to Malaysia without having to put it on a ship? Like, that's a specific request I'm getting. Are you seeing more and more of that in, in industry where they're saying, find me a supplier that doesn't have to ship? Truck, rail, anything but ships. There's been a lot of talk about reshoring manufacturing closer uh, to the main markets and um, I know I know there's a lot of people who have looked at maybe relocating factories from China to Eastern Europe if they're catering to the European market <clears throat> now but that's not as easy to do as it might seem I mean supply chains are quite sophisticated and they've been in place for a long time and manufacturing and quality control uh, and, and and it's all very much price driven I mean maybe we are feeling the uh, negative impacts of, of globalization here. But at the end of the day, we are still going to actually live in a global environment. Goods are going to be manufactured in the Far East and exported elsewhere. And it's going to be very difficult. And people saying, oh, well, we should reopen the British motor industry. Well, okay, there's still some motor industry there, but there's no way that you could actually have the volumes of manufacturing that you had in the UK. And Good or bad, that was outsourced years ago. I mean, the industrial revolution, uh, you know, the pollution and everything that used to affect Europe, that's been exported elsewhere. It's not going to come back. Mm-hmm. OK, OK. Uh, well, we're going to pause uh, for three minutes for the news summary at nine o'clock. Uh, um, uh, Lewis Chan and Tim Huxley stay with us. Uh, we've got to say uh, goodbye now to Akim Cherney, Associate Professor at the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Thanks to you. Just before we go to the news summary, uh, a quick look at the weather. Uh, sunny periods today, uh, one or two light rain patches uh, this morning. Top temperature will be around 26 degrees. The outlook, sunny periods in the next couple of days, uh, warm during the daytime, becoming appreciably cooler early next week. It's currently 21 degrees, humidity 67%. Welcome back to Backchat with Andrew Work and me, Jim Gould. Uh, And this morning, uh, we're talking about the cargo industry and uh, air freight and shipping. And we have uh, with us uh, Lewis Chan, Principal Economist for Global Research, at the Hong Kong Trade Development Council and also Tim Huxley, a director of uh, Mandarin Shipping. Um, do get in touch. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on two double three double eight two double six. Andrew. Yeah, so I, I want to know, are shippers making money right now? Like, I mean, it's, if prices are sky high, presumably they've got some margins worked in there. But uh, if you can't get containers, you know, how are you going to make any money from shipping? I mean, are, what kind of a state are they in now? Um, the ship, you've always got to be quite careful about your definition of shipper. Uh, I mean, ship owners, uh, the big container lines, uh, the independent owners of ships, uh, who have had a really grim decade since mm-hmm. decade plus since the financial crisis? They've had an absolute bumper year, and profits are amongst the big liner companies. I mean, you see them, the ships coming in, uh, 
One, the Japanese consortium, Costco, CMA, CGM, Maersk. I mean, those companies, the big liner companies this year, uh, their combined profits will be something in the region of about 150 billion US dollars. Uh, at the beginning of last year, we were predicting that uh, the major liner shipping companies would make a loss of over 20 billion. Mm -hmm. So it's completely turned around there. Um, freight forwarders uh, who... Uh, they consolidate the cargo and then they try to then find space on these ships. They have really been squeezed because they've got a commitment to their customers uh, to get that cargo moving. But then they can't get space on the ships because all the ships are full mm -hmm. and the congestion is building up that delay in the ships. So what a lot of freight forwarders were doing earlier uh, this year, it's began to, begun to tail off. They were chartering ships themselves, mm. uh, and they were really having to pay top dollar. I mean, you know, they were paying over two hundred thousand US dollars a day to charter some ships. Uh, so, at the end of the day, and it's been long overdue. Uh, the ship owners have actually had quite a good year. Um, so the only thing you do know in shipping is it won't last. Mm. Uh, and uh, normally these things are uh, killed by overcapacity. Uh, at the moment, you know, the economy's picking up. You've got all of these COVID issues, which may go away. But at the same time, we've begun to do the self-correction process of 23% of the global container ship fleet is currently sitting in shipyards being built. So mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot more capacity coming on in 2023 and beyond. And, and this is a cycle you've seen before where, you know, you have, you have some boom years, everybody needs ships, they order the ships, the ships all hit the market at the same time and prices crash again. I mean, is this, am I right? It's the circle of life in shipping. <laughs> so when do, we, when do we hit the crash again? Um, I think it could actually be quite a way, you know, it could be some way forward. I mean, we, we would need uh, to get all of the congestion sorted out. You would actually need, you'd need a recession so there's less cargo moving. Now then, you know, things don't look too bad on the sort of global economic front in terms of uh, a looming recession. But, um, you know, I've always been told, expect the unexpected. But certainly for 2022, I think the shipping industry has got a pretty optimistic outlook. Okay, well, let's ask uh, Lewis Chan, because you've written a number of research papers on uh, post-pandemic supply chains. Uh, uh, turning the tide on sea cargo stoppages is one. Unlocking shipping bottlenecks is another. Um, how, how are things going to be managed, do you think, in 2022? I think that uh, the governments of the world, around the world are working hard okay, to, to, to solve the problem, although uh, we would love to see them move even faster. So uh, talking about uh, LALB, uh, Los Angeles and Long Beach uh, ports, for instance, uh, the U.S. administration has already uh, talked to the union neighbor uh, unions, uh, the union neighbor leaders, and also uh, the trade, okay, to have uh, the container terminals uh, work around the clock, okay, to just to clear up the backlog. But until today, so far, we haven't seen this uh, 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 we are yet to to be seen. Okay, whether this is uh, actually working uh, in reality, but uh, we we I, I think that uh, when uh, governments and uh, the regulators and and uh, uh, the customs uh, uh, officials uh, they all uh, identify the problem, and then they work together, then we can have a easier way out uh, from the current situation. And as Tim mentioned, uh, it's a demand supply mismatch. 
So uh, either the demand uh, will readjust itself or the supply will uh, adjust itself, but it's a matter of time. Uh, but apart, I, I, I just want to add, uh, apart from addressing the problem from the logistics uh, industry, uh, we have also seen traders uh, doing something uh, more uh, creatively uh, to address the problem. For instance, uh, they are making a more flexible port uh, design, so uh, they, uh, which will allow them to use uh, alternative materials just in case of supply shocks. And at the same time, they are changing their packaging uh, materials to uh, make it uh, easier to transport uh, across the border. And uh, they also change their mode of consignment or, uh, or their business model, okay, to do, uh, to, for example, to uh, increase their volume of uh, trade, okay, in one go, okay, just to uh, ensure stock, okay, will not uh, run out. Okay, in a particular market, for instance, uh, to maintain the goodwill and uh, the supply of their products in a particular market, for instance. So these ways, although they are they are not a complete answer to the problem right now we are facing, but it's a partial and a contingent uh, way out in the moment. Something just occurred to me. I mean, aside from the food panda guys being uh, the drivers being a little unhappy last week, the, the only kind of real major um, labor unrest I can remember in 25 years in Hong Kong was the the crane operators in 2014, I'm going to say. Um, are, are we expecting people in the logistics business, people, workers like that, to uh, sense a moment when they can agitate for higher wages or other, other better conditions because they've got a little more, uh, <laughs> they're a little more vital than they used we've to be? Got, we've already got a massive labor issue in the shipping industry. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what... And this has been well reported, well documented, and it is it is a looming crisis that will have long term implications. Seafarers are unable to get off ships in so many places, and as a result, people who went to sea on a four to six month contract are having to spend over a year at sea. Oof. Now, yeah, so you know, you talk about twenty one days in pennies away. Uh, I mean, a year at sea, and these guys are. There are going to be accidents because these guys are absolutely exhausted. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but also, a lot of people now are saying, I'm not going to do this. And so we're losing seafarers. Uh, moving seafarers around is incredibly difficult. I mean, so these seafarers come from major markets like China, the Philippines, India, Eastern Europe. And relocating them, I mean, if you have a PRC seafarer who comes off a ship in Europe is going to take three, they've got to wait three weeks before they can go back to China. But they can't get a visa to stay in Europe for three weeks. So you can't actually change your crew. So we're going to have a real issue going forward. I don't think it's, I can't really see many young people right now saying, I want a career as a seafarer unless these conditions get sorted out. And that requires government action in terms of uh, prioritizing seafarers in terms of transit and also in terms of getting seafarers vaccinated. And also, well, international coordination as well. Absolutely, yeah, which yeah. there's been a singular lack of. <laughs> are they putting the squeeze on their employers? Are they demanding higher wages to compensate for this, you know, all this kind of being away from their families and everything? Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and justifiably so. I mean, in fact, actually, in many cases, the ship owners led the charge on this. I mean, early on, uh, anybody who uh, had gone over their contract and was working extra, their salary was increased by 25%. Wow. They were given increased access to internet facilities on board the ship so they could communicate more with their families. So you are 
pe people have recognised it, people are making an effort, but it is only going to be international cooperation, coordination that is going to help resolve what is a chronic problem which will have long-term implications. Uh, there's a lot of concern uh, around the world about uh, what these uh, supply chain disruptions are doing to inflation. Um, uh, uh, Lewis Chan, you're an economist. Uh, is the inflation that we're seeing a temporary phenomenon, as suggested by the, the Federal Reserve in the US, or, or, or are we in for a period of uh, prolonged, um, you know, uh, extended inflation? It depends on how other sectors are catching up. Uh, if we talk about uh, is imported inflation because of the supply chain uh, bottleneck, then uh, I would say that uh, this is. Um, I, I will not say it's very temporary, but I will I will say it's a transitionary uh, until we have a better way out from the bottleneck uh, we are facing nowadays. But uh, I don't see any uh, very structural uh, uh, problem, okay, uh, in terms of the supply chain problem. But uh, as I as team correctly mentioned, uh, we need um, more concerted efforts, okay, and global leadership to uh, change the situation because. Uh, as I said uh, at the very beginning, uh, it's more or less a uh, human vascular um, system. So we cannot just uh, fix the heart without uh, taking care of all the other organs. Or otherwise, uh, some bottleneck, no matter how small it is, happens somewhere in the body, then it will cause huge problem as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, are, we, are we seeing technology being deployed to try and compensate for some of these? Are we seeing, like, for example, shipping companies investing in technology can help them with them? Or is this just a problem that needs to be solved with just, you know, Shipping tonnage. <laughs> uh, sh shipping companies are investing uh, in technology. Digitalization is having an impact, and of course, what we also, you know, another big, the other big elephant in the room as far as shipping is concerned is decarbonisation, and uh, that is prompting a lot of ship owners to hold back on investing in new ships because right now you just don't know what propulsion system to put in. Uh, to meet regulations. We're trying to get to zero carbon by 2050. Now, the diesel engine is still the main source of power, but, you know, we're going to have to actually find uh, alternatives. I mean, what, no yeah. electric motor can power a container ship, is my understanding. Is that correct? That is correct. So... Uh, but, you know, we're, people are looking at liquefied natural gas, methane, hydrogen, uh, and maybe the cleanest power that we can have is a nuclear-powered container ship. Really? That would be quite something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, power. aircraft carriers and yeah, submarines. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, wow. Is that, is yeah. that something seriously that's being researched right now? Because I know you can get these mini, mini nuclear yeah. reactors. Uh, I've been yeah. talking to people about that. And they actually put them in city centers. Yeah. But people have been talking about putting them in container ships. Uh, yeah. Or, or any type of ship. Tankers, bulk carriers, container ships. Uh, I mean, they could be a viable solution to the drive towards zero carbon. Mm. Wow. But that's probably a different subject. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Very interesting. Uh, uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, uh, that was Tim Huxley, the uh, director of Mandarin Shipping, and thanks very much to Lewis Chan, a principal economist uh, for global research at the Hong Kong Trade Development Council. And uh, before nine o'clock, uh, we also heard from Akim Cherney, associate professor at the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. And uh, for the last. Uh, uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme. We're going to be uh, turning our attention uh, to another subject and, uh, and that is 
Um, the Best uh, Public Toilet Awards uh, 2021, and that's uh, ahead of uh, World uh, Public Toilet Day. And uh, we're joined uh, on the line now by Dr Henry Hung, who's past president and founding member of the Hong Kong Toilet Association. Um, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, so, um, looking at the results of your uh, toilet awards, uh, quite interesting. Um, perhaps if I can just um, give the listeners a quick, a quick summary. So, you assessed uh, more than four hundred uh, public toilets, yeah. and uh, a special award went to uh, Fong Ma Po Public Toilet in Lam Chun. Uh, but the top award, I guess, the gold award went to was at Smithfield Municipal Services Building uh, Public yeah. Toilet. Uh, that's in uh, in Shengwan, yes, in, in Shengwan. Yeah, that's right. And then and yeah. then and then uh, and then Yun Chow Street Public Toilet, Silver Bronze Award, Gascoigne Road Public Toilet, and and the best toilets in a mall was in the Elements Mall in Chim Sa Choi, and then you also uh, named um, uh, several toilets that needed improvements, didn't you? Uh, Kun Tong Promenade, Cox's Road Public Toilet, and toilets in Yun Long MTR Station. Could you um, just uh, give us a, a little bit more idea about uh, what standards you were applying? Yes, uh, thank you very much. And actually, our association will carry out uh, um, this kind of survey annually, mm-hmm. and um, it's to try to improve the um, standard of the public toilets. As we know, public toilets are sometimes very uh, uh, awkward when we go into our toilet, which is so smelly and uh, wet and, and unsafe and not hygiene. So every year we, we carry out this kind of survey. Since this year we have about 400 public toilets uh, we have done in Hong Kong. And the best one is the one in, in, the, in the western um, uh, district, a, a, a Smithfield toilet. And what we're doing this is based on our uh, strategy. It's about how to, um, uh, whether the toilet is a, a, a comfortable one, it is uh, accessible and um, uh, hygiene and, and also um, safe. So we use this four uh, area to justify whether the toilet is, is good or bad. And this one, uh, the one we, we give them the goal of what, which comply with all our requirements. So this is what we have done. And uh, some of the worst toilet that we have uh, this year, which is uh, very disappointed, uh, this toilet is in the Quintong uh, Waterfront um, Park, where the toilet has been just uh, renovated or, or built about half, uh, half a year ago. And at that time, that was very good. And unfortunately, after uh, less than a year, and the condition of the toilet is, is, is terrible, what, 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 we, what we say. Come on, so come this on. is something we, we really um, disappointed. So that will be a, a lack of care and maintenance then in that case? Oh, yes. Mm. It's, it's all about um, the management of the public toilets. As the government, uh, they have several departments to manage these uh, public toilets. Um, so uh, some of them even outsource to other contractors to do it. So they are not in a unified management system. Um, so that is making a lot of chaotic in the management of the public toilet. Because the government is spending a lot of money and it has a, a, a large-scale ongoing programme to renovate and upgrade public toilets, doesn't it? But, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, this, this, how much of a difference has that made? 
Well, uh, I think the, the, the difference is, is that when a toilet is newly renovated and uh, not a, 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 a few months, then they become back into very worse condition again. So, so this is all about how they manage and uh, they should have a, a unified system to manage all the public toilets in Hong Kong. Dr. Hong, I got some I got some tough questions for you because I'm looking at your list. Gold, Smithfield Municipal Services Building, Silver, Yen Chow Public Street. But I'm looking at a report from 2019 and I see your worst male toilets in Hong Kong and Smithfield Municipal Services Building is on the list. And for worst male and female, Yen Chow is on the list. How have yeah. these two floated to the top? Well, I, I think that is what our, our, our functionality of our survey when we uh, uh, post that, that that is the worst toilet, and then the, the management may may uh, um, put more effort to improve the the condition of the toilet, so they make it uh, better. And of course, the contractor, I, I think, they change every year. So maybe the uh, the contractor of this year is different from the last year. So I think the, this is all about management. Uh, uh, although there's a much a big difference from the worst to the best. So this is, um, is a, a really something that the government have to look into. Yeah, so I mean, you, you guys have some power then. I mean, if you put somebody on a blacklist, I mean, that is it, there's a high likelihood maybe the contractor is going to get lose, lose the job and, uh, you know, and that, that's going to get some attention. Yeah, that is exactly what, what we have done in the past number of years. Mm-hmm. When, whenever we go down there and see the toilet is very uh, um, uh, in a bad condition and then they just simply close it and then run away it, and then hopefully it can maintain a longer a period of time. But unfortunately, sometimes it's not. All right. And, and uh, I mean, that, that's obviously there's, there's opprobrium on the bad side. Nobody, nobody wants to get in your crosshairs, it looks like. Uh, how about on the good side? Do you, do you now have uh, organizations coming and lobbying you, like, like uh, the shopping malls wanting to say, hey, guys, come and look at our toilets. They're the best. And try to sell you on how good their, to- their toilets are? Yeah. In, in, in the private sector, I, do, I think it's much better. They, they are continuously improving their their public toilet and maybe number one for for the uh, uh, image of the 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 mall and also for better management of their organization like that. But for the government side, I think this is quite, they they really need a lot of improvement. And also the management is, is from different departments quite fragmented. Uh, from some of them from the food and health and environmental department and some by the cultural uh, center uh, department. So it is quite uh, confusing, actually, sometimes. Yeah. It, it's been uh, pointed out for a number of years um, that there aren't enough uh, women's toilets um, uh, and, and there, there should be the, the proportion of women's toilets to men's uh, should be a lot greater to meet uh, needs, um, demand and so on. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, that is a very good, uh, good question. Actually, this question has been put forward in the House of Commons in, in UK back to 15 years ago. That means the ratio of the male and female, which is far uh, 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 insufficient. Uh, now the regulation is one to two. That means one uh, toilet in the male and then two toilet in the female. But it's still not enough because uh, in the male toilet, we have urinals. But for the ladies, they don't have. So the numbers should be either increased from one to three, or we also include the number of your lineal to a toilet. Supposing in a male toilet, there are three cubicles and then three urinal, that means totally six number. 
So in the female toilet should be double that that, that uh, number of uh, 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 toilet in the female toilet. And has anything actually happened in the UK since this was raised as an issue 15 years ago? Well, unfortunately, no, because in, in UK, even, even a bit uh, worse because of the public toilet, the, the, uh, there is a big problem of criminal cases happening in the, in, in the public toilet. So a lot of the public toilet in the UK, they just simply close it down. So yeah. it's a very, very, very un, un, unfortunate case. Yeah, or others, uh, just thinking of London, a lot of public toilets, uh, you have to pay to use them. Um, that's, that's never the situation here in Hong Kong, is it? Uh, not really. Mm. Only one uh, paid toilet, which is in the Wong Tai Xin Temple. Oh. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure whether that is uh, so effective or not. But generally speaking, the, the public toilet in Hong Kong, we really need to put in uh, more effort to improve the, the situation. Now, as a, as a toilet enthusiast, I, I, I'm hoping you're going to give us some insight as to why Fong Ma Po Public Toilet has won a special award. I had a look at it online. I, I have some idea of why, but why don't you tell us why this is your special award for 2021? Oh, oh yeah, the, the, that is a very good toilet. If you have been there, you will see that this toilet is really, really good. Uh, they just renovated last year, but even before the renovation, it's uh, still uh, a very good toilet. We gave them uh, um, an award about 10 years ago, and up to now, they still maintain that award in, in outside the toilet. That means the management of that toilet, and, the, and especially the attendance in that toilet, they're really working very hard to maintain the toilet in good condition. Mm -hmm. So this year, we give them another uh, title, which we do not, we cannot give them another gold award after they have the go award uh, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So we try to encourage toilets that they try to maintain the status all the way around. And is it just based on the management of it? Because, I mean, that, that one in particular, I had a look at it online. It's got a very uh, historical, architectural look to it. Is, it. is it for the architecture as well, or is it strictly management and upkeep? Definitely. Uh, uh, the one in Mapohan uh, toilet, they have very good architectural design. And, of course, the hardware is there, but the, the problem is how to maintain the hardware in good condition. That is uh, mainly about the management. Okay, in terms of keeping public facilities in good condition, a lot of it is down to public attitudes, isn't it? Um, so do you think the, uh, the, 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 sort of, you know, the approach of the public is generally quite good or is more pu public education needed? What do you think? Yeah, that is also something we, we have to pay more attention. That's why the theme of our um, the press conference here is about education. Because if the hardware is done very good, the people are not using it uh, properly, they're making the dirty, the, the, the toilet dirty. So there's, there's an, uh, nothing we can do. So education of the public or advertisement promotion of the toilet is also very important. Have, have they gotten cleaner over the past two years during COVID? Because number one, uh, you know, kind of everybody's become fanatic clean freaks and, you know, ramping up their cleaning, but also minus 42 million tourists. Oh, yes. That is uh, something that uh, the government or even the public have to do more on the uh, virus transmission in the public toilet, where, like, uh, we have to cover the, the uh, toilet seats before flushing and all these kind of uh, things. 
we have to educate the public. Although, to be, to be fair to the toilets, we never had a COVID outbreak linked to a public toilet, did we? Uh, no. No. And I mean, and the other side, as I said, there's, there's 42 million fewer visitors a year compared to what we used to have. I mean, just, you know, if you're cleaning something that's not being used as much. No. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, that's got to be good. Also, also um, the condition of public toilets is very important for the image of a place, isn't it? So, so for, for visitors coming to Hong Kong, OK, there are not, not many vis- visitors at the moment, but uh, in normal times, uh, it is uh, very important to keep uh, public facilities in good shape, isn't it? Definitely. Mm. Yeah, that is uh, not only the image and the hygiene of the, the public, which is very, very important, especially during the pandemic time uh, now. I think that's going to be Elements uh, Marketing for the whole next year. It's going to be, you know, come for the toilets, stay for the shopping. Yeah, very good yeah, idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, excellent. Okay. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us uh, this morning uh, on the program. Uh, Dr. Henry Hung there, who's a uh, past president and founding member of the Hong Kong uh, Toilet Association. And uh, just a couple of emails before the end of the program on uh, the main subject that we were talking about uh, this morning. Um, Leslie writes... Uh, here in Hong Kong, we're now dealing with the very real issue of food inflation. As a restaurant business, we're looking at increases from our suppliers of between 7 to 56% uh, the, the, uh, across the board. Uh, one example, uh, premium beef prices increased by 75% last month and French fries by as much as 37.5%. Consequently, we've had to hold an additional 35% uh, more uh, inventory to ensure continuity of supply, which adds considerable cost. Uh, and then uh, overview of COVID-19 on the global food chain, lack of farm labour, seasonal labour severely curtailed, produce and protein supply impacted, food processing plants shut down worldwide, now open but operating at 50% capacity, lorry drivers, global shortage of HGV drivers, meaning that product cannot be shipped, and shipping millions of containers stuck at sea worldwide, millions stuck in ports. Uh, What Hong Kong consumers need to recognise is that food inflation is a situation exacerbated by the ongoing global COVID-19 pandemic where ingredient costs have continued to rise, most ingredients and components cumulatively by double-digit percentages and the shipping environment has grown increasingly expensive, delayed and uh, with uh, shipping costs rising tenfold, the CX and FedEx uh, air freight issues are only going to ex- uh, exasperate this. I don't believe that we will have uh, empty shelves, but prices are rising exponentially. And this discussion seems to be playing the issues down. That's from Leslie. And uh, another one, a short one from Paul, says uh, it's not only Christmas trees that are in short supply. It was hard to get hold of frozen turkey last year with many supermarkets just selling off the remaining stock from Christmas 2019. Does anyone know if this will be an issue again this year? Uh, well, uh, our experts have gone, but I guess we'll find out soon, Andrew. Yeah, tur- yeah. time to turkey up and uh, yeah. urban, urban farming. Time to wrap up urban farming in Hong Kong. Okay. Well, thanks very much uh, for being our co-host today. Uh, thanks My to pleasure. our guests and to our listeners. And a quick look at the weather before the new summary and morning brew. Sunny periods, uh, one or two light rain patches uh, in the morning. Top temperature around 26 degrees, moderate north to northeasterly winds. The outlook, sunny periods in the next couple of days and it will be warm in the daytime. Becoming appreciably cooler, though, with winds strengthening from the north on Monday. It's currently 22 degrees, humidity 66%.
The chief executive has announced the 2021 policy address. With the national security law and improved electoral system, Hong Kong is back on the right track of one country, two systems. We will continue to leverage our unique advantages to boost the economy. The artificial islands in the central waters and the northern metropolis development strategy will fundamentally resolve the land and housing problem. Building a bright future together, the 2021 policy address. The new summary with Todd Harding. The SAR government has condemned a report released by a U.S. bipartisan advisory group which accused the government of eroding judicial independence and curtailing freedoms. The report criticised the overhaul of the electoral system and the imposition of the national security law. However, the government said the security law had ended chaos and restored stability and had reinforced Hong Kong's position and attraction as an international financial centre. The Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury has reiterated that reopening the border with the mainland is the top priority for the SAR government. Christopher Hoy's comments come after FedEx announced yesterday that it's closing its Hong Kong pilot base, citing the city's COVID regulations as being partly behind its decision. And separately, an academic in Macau has indicated that the future looks bleak for the former Portuguese enclave if its tourism industry can't recover over the next six months. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? You're not too bad at all. Good morning. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. morning to you and welcome to Thursday and if you happen to be taking part in a pub quiz tonight Mickey Mouse's 93rd birthday today 1010 on Morning Brew we welcome back the executive director of the Alliance Francaise de Hong Kong Jean-Sebastien Attier he's here to tell you about the 50th Hong Kong French Film Festival which runs from next Wednesday for three weeks it includes Aline the Celine Dion story that our friend Philippe Devar from RTL France has been going on about and looking forward to for weeks after 11 our vet Dr David Gething will be with us to answer any of your furry questions and in honour of the birthday boy to talk about rodents. It's Morning Brew at rthk.hk if you want to get in touch. It's the vamps. No good for me and my frame of mind. I think about you all the time.